The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in 1 John. For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. We're going to be in uh, chapter 5, and, and we, are, we are really almost to the end of, our, of this book. And what you're going to see today is that John ends strong. He ends strong. Uh, if there are three things that make church people uncomfortable, okay, three things that make church people just cringe and, and very uncomfortable. Uh, one, it would be giving or finances money. That's number one. Number two would be evangelism, sharing your faith. And number three, last but not least, would be prayer. Prayer. Uh, we don't like to be told to give more, to share your faith more, or to pray more. Um, statistically. So what I would love to do is last week we got to talk about evangelism and sharing your faith, and I'd love to just continue making you uncomfortable this morning. <laughs> and we're going to shift our focus to prayer. Uh, we're going to look at, at prayer this, this morning, and um, this text has challenged me this week. I cannot wait to dig in. And so what I'd love to do is can... I just invite you, can we pray together? And then let's look at, this, look at this text. God, thank you for your word. I thank you so much for this book, 1 John, for, the, time, for the, the weeks that we've been in it. God, continue to speak. As you have already begun, just continue to speak. Open our eyes and, and show us more who you are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you've been with us for, for any amount of time, uh, you, you probably have recognized that we're pretty simple when it comes to preaching and, and teaching that we do here. Uh, typically, what we'll do is we go through books of the Bible. Uh, we love this. Uh, we enjoy this. Since we've launched, we've gone through James. Then we went through Ephesians, a few Psalms. We, we, looked, we went through the book of Job. Uh, we've spent the last several weeks in the book of 1 John that we're about to finish, and in July 10th, we're stepping into the book of Genesis. We love this here. We, we love just walking through books of the Bible together, and there's, there's several reasons why. I want to highlight three of them just real quick. Uh, number one, uh, we believe that our message is greater than the messenger. The message is greater than the messenger. So, so teaching this way reminds us that this is our foundation. And we don't come here at Stone Oak Bible to rally around good people with good messages or motivational, charismatic leaders. Now, do I hope that our, we have good people? Yes. Do I hope that our leaders are engaging, friendly, and charismatic? There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Um, but our, our great authority is in our great message. And that great message is found in this great book. And so to put it a, simp uh, a more simple way, it's not about, it's all about our great message, not about any great messenger. So we love teaching this way because it drives us to, back to, to that as our authority. Number two, we believe learning to fish is greater than being given a fish. Uh, so our hope is, is that we preach, we teach like this, that that not only are we going to learn together in this room, not only are we going to wrestle with these texts and grow, I mean, that's great, but my hope is that the longer that, you, that are, you're, you're with us at Stone Oak, that the, the, the more you grow in your ability to be able to handle your Bible, to be able to read it, interpret it, apply it, 
that you become more comfortable with, with the Bible. Um, imagine, church, if, if we were a church of fishers, a church of fishers. So there's nothing wrong, by the way, with you coming and getting great fish. To go to that, and I hope when you come here that you enjoy the fish, all right? But I also hope that when you leave this place that you, you have a better understanding of what to do when you're at home and you open this. Because as we do that together, hopefully that, that begins to teach you. Third and lastly is balance. Balance. So teaching this way really does protect us from um, maybe some hobby horses, uh, I don't, you better not judge me, but there are some things that I would talk about a lot, and there are other things that I might neglect, not on purpose, but just they, I mean, we all have our passions, right? Um, but teaching this way, walking through this, what it does is it allows us to, to have balance that we don't avoid or skip over some uh, difficult passages, Here's the reason I bring this up. We, in 1 John, we are coming to um, one of the most difficult, probably the most difficult passages in all of 1 John uh, for, for years. Um, people have read this and said, now, what is he saying? What's going on here? And I'm excited because as a church, we get to look at it dead in the eye and walk through it. And, and here's what we're going to do. Like I said, we're going to talk today about prayer. And we're going to look at two types of prayer from our text. First is, is, is prayer for ourselves. And second is prayer for others. So that's where we're headed uh, today. And I want to start with that first type of prayer in the first two verses of our text. So we're going to be in, let's look at verses 14 and 15 first. So let's, let's look at this. So 1 John 5, 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him. And I want to push the pause button right there. I know that we're several words in. That's okay. Um, I don't want to rush past this too quickly. Uh, this fact. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Um, you have no right on just a, a human level to, to approach God with any confidence. We have no right to, to walk before God and, and have any kind of confidence in and of ourselves. I mean, we get this. Let's just think on a human level for a second. Let's just think of barging into a king and having that confidence. You know, Let's put it in our perspective. We just barge into the president, go to that White House and just say, I need some time and have some confidence. Right? How many of you would be, would be confident in that moment? The only confidence that I would have in that moment is that it would not end well with me. Right? I've seen those news stories of guys flying things over. I know what happens, right? But we get that on, on a human level, and that's with a king having a relatively small kingdom. That's a president who's in office for a couple years. Right? How much more as we think of our Heavenly Father, a perfect God, creator of the universe, and us, sinful human beings, how much more is it that we would, that we would have confidence as we come before him? Like, this is incredible. And so before we go any further, I just wanted us to take a moment, take a deep breath, think about that fact, and allow that to be the foundation of everything we say this morning as we talk about prayer Church, you, you can have confidence as you come before him. You have confidence that you come 
before him. Um, So John says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So you have this beautiful imagery here. Of, of, of God, of a child of God coming to God, having access, having confidence and boldness as, as that child of God comes before God, um, knowing that he's going to be heard. Not only that, knowing that not only will he be heard, but he will be answered, having this confidence. That's the imagery that John paints here. But as, if we're honest, as we read this verse, there should be some honest questions that pop into your mind. There should be some honest um, questions, uh, and I don't want to rush over this because questions like this. What about all the times that I pray? I ask, I plead, I ask, I plead, I cry some, then I plead, then I ask. Then it, What about all the times that I do that and I do not get a response? He does not answer. What about... All the times when I do not get an answer for the things that I ask God for. Am I doing it wrong? Am I doing it wrong? I mean, honestly, is there something wrong with me? Because this verse says that a child of God should have confidence and he will hear and answer. Is there something wrong with me? Am I doing something wrong? Is, are God and I not cool right now? Right? How many have felt that or, or felt those fears come into our mind? Um, when we pray. But John here is telling us that we should have confidence that God will, will hear me and respond to me. So what's happening here? Well, there's this important phrase that says that if we ask anything according to his will. Now, what does that mean? How can we even know that? And is that the Christian caveat? I'm just saying. We tag that on, right? Is that, is that the... Um, I've heard it said that this is the Christian cop-out to prayer. Well, if it's your will, if it's your will. Is that what's going on here? I want to think about this for a moment. Because I think we often can have kind of a misunderstanding when it comes to prayer. I want you to follow with me here. Um, Too often we view prayer as us trying to get something from God or us trying to get God to see something our way. We come to God and we say, God, I see it this way. I need you to see it this way. And we try to convince God um, sometimes to change his mind or, or maybe he just doesn't see it. Maybe we, and so we approach prayer as though we are trying to get something from God or get God to do something for us. And there are certainly times when we are going to pray and we are going to have things that we desire that we're going to lay before God. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But that is not... Hear me, that is not the point of prayer. That is not the point of prayer. I want you to, I'm going to put this on the screen. It's a lot of words. Follow with me though, okay? The purpose of prayer is not trying to get God to give you what you want. The purpose of prayer is trying to get to what God wants for you. And then through prayer, beginning then to want what God wants for you. That's the beauty of prayer. The beauty of prayer, the purpose of prayer, is not to give God, get God to give you what you want. It's to get to what God wants for you. So I want to just 
throw this analogy out there for parents in the room, especially parents who have had the joy of parenting teenagers. All right. Um, how many of you got into the habit of writing blank checks to your teenagers and just said, you know what? Whatever your heart, your little heart wants, you go and write that check. You go and do it. How many of you got into that habit? If you did, we need to talk after this, all right? Some counseling on this one. Um, of course not, because you love them. You know what's best for them. Most of us have limited bank accounts as well, but that's a side note. But even if you had the funds, you know what's best for them, and you know blank checks are not what's best for your teenage son or daughter. Plus, let's just push it a little further, not many of us enjoy being the blank check to our teenage son or, or daughter. Um, we get this on a parent-child human level. Why on earth do we struggle to get this with our Heavenly Father? Why do we struggle so much to see this on, uh, with our Heavenly Father? Because prayer is not this fill-in-the-blank check moment. God is not this cosmic ATM machine that we can just go to and, and, and just expect. Um, now, it's not good for our earthly children to have earthly fathers like that, and it's not good for you either. It is not good for you, and that is not prayer. Think about it. Think about it. Let's just push it a little further. If prayer were that, if prayer was us getting God to give us what we want, if that was what prayer was all about, who is really the God in that scenario? You know, who is really calling the, the shots here? It's, it's, God is simply a means to other ends. The point is not the other ends. The point is God himself. And so it wouldn't be about God. It would be about his stuff. Um, it wouldn't be about us loving and trusting that God knows better and loves us perfectly. It would be about us appreciating God and using God. And prayer is not that. Um, that is not prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to get God to give you what you want. The purpose of prayer is getting to what God wants for you. And then through prayer, beginning to want what God wants for you. You remember when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, um, your will be done. Or if you're King James, thy will be done. Um, how often, though, do we approach prayer and say, your will be changed? Right? We pray, God, change your will. Change your will on this one. Um, I love this question. Someone shared it to me before we move on, and I, I won't forget it. If you've never asked this question in your prayers, I recommend it. Um, but it's a simple question of, of, God, is this what you want, or is it just what I want? And do you know what happens the longer that we walk with, with the Lord and the longer that we, that we follow him, the longer we serve him? Something beautiful happens. It's a work of the Spirit. I, it, this is unbelievable. It's beautiful what happens. That we will start to notice that the things that we want start more and more lining up with the things that God wants. That is the work of the Spirit in our life. And that's what prayer is all about. Getting to that, that, that our will becomes 
God's will. So it's all about the will of God, the perfect will of God. So some of you are here and you're wondering about the million-dollar question right now. If, since it's all about the will of God, how on earth do we know it? How do we discern the will of God? How do we discern the will of God? So I've had the privilege of, of being in ministry, serving in ministry for the past 11, 12 years. And, and in that time, I have seen so many people in the various churches I've had the privilege of being in, I have seen so many people that are absolutely crippled by this question. I mean crippled by this question of, God, do you want me to take this job? Do you want me to move? Do you want me to date them, marry them? Do you want us to have, continue to have kids? Do you want us to get the truck or the car? Do you want us to wear blue jeans? Like it gets, I've, I, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating on this. And it comes from a good heart. We want to be in the will of God. We want to make sure that we're walking in the steps that God wants us to walk in. I get, I get that. But I have seen so many people who have been afraid to make any decision because they're not sure. Is this the will of God or is there a better will? Like, I know this is good, but is this better? Is this better? Like, it, it, it can be crippling. And I've seen this cripple so many, so many people. It's almost as though we see God's will as this um, invisible bullseye. And we pull back our bow and we are petrified because we want to hit the bullseye. Like, we want to hit it. We don't want to be up and to the left. We want, we want it, right? We want the bullseye, and we're terrified to let the arrow go. We are petrified to do anything to let the arrow go. So for a moment, because it is about God's will, I want to drill down just for a quick moment and how we discern it. And I want to give you a little secret to how we can know the will of God. Spoiler alert, this isn't much of a secret. But I want to give you something that... You won't miss it. If you ask these questions and answer them honestly, you're not going to miss the will of God. And of course, all great pastoral points in a sermon have threes. So I'm going to give you three questions, okay? First one is this. That's not why I'm doing this, by the way. Please, please hear me. First one is this, and this is, this, this is an easy one, is what does God's word say about the decision? There are so many things that we don't have to wonder we have this, we have God's revealed will for us right here. And there's so many things that we don't have to wonder. Uh, let me give you an easy example. If you're ever wondering, is it God's will for me to fudge the numbers in a business deal? The answer to that is always no. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to search. You don't have to, you can let that arrow go. You know that is not the will of God. Why? Because God's word has laid that out. For us. So there are some things that are no-brainers, easy. First question, that should knock off some. However, question number two, um, most of you probably realize this, that not every detail in your life is covered verse by verse in God's word. The longer you, you follow him, the more that you realize, well, God's word did not tell me anything to do here. I don't know what to do. And what we realize is that, that this becomes more than a manual for right living. It's a manual for a right heart. And so here's the next question that you have. So when you approach something in your life 
And it's not spelled out directly for you. Here's the question. Is this decision founded on your love for God and for your love for others? Is this decision founded on your love for God and your love for others? Um, If you can honestly say yes to that question, and I know you're not perfect, so there's going to be some wiggle room in here. I mean, but if you can honestly, the decision you're going to make, if you can say yes, absolutely, here's here's what's going to happen. I am fully confident that if you were to stand before your Savior, you are not going to be ashamed of that decision. You are not going to be ashamed of that decision. Let me read to you one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You don't have to turn with me. I'm going to put it on the screen. Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? A.K.A. Here's what the Lord wants for you. Here's my will. To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Love God, love others. Is your decision founded on your love for God and your love for others? John has been drilling that into us. Is your decision founded on that? Now, third question. On the off chance that there's something else, maybe you feel God calling you to something specific. Does God call his people to specific things, specific places? Absolutely. Here's the question. Is God clearly calling you to something specific? This is, God does this throughout history. He does this through his word, that he, he calls his children to do specific things in specific times and specific places. Um, I want you to know something, though. If God's called you to something specific, and you've already answered the first two questions, so you're spending time in his word, you're loving God, loving others, and God calls you to something specific, let me hear me loud and clear. He will get your attention. He will get your attention. You do not have to live in fear that you're going to miss a still and quiet whisper. Yes, the Spirit whispers, but it's, he's God, so you're going to hear it, right? He's going to get your attention when he has a purpose and a plan for you. He will use his word, his people, his spirit. He will direct you. He will guide you. You do not need to live in fear that you're going to miss the bullseye. I promise you, you do not need to live in fear that you're going to miss that. You remember Jonah, right? God had something specific for that man, and he didn't want it, and he ran. And God did not spare anything to get that man's attention. A storm, a fish, he'll, he'll get your attention. You don't have to live in fear. So here's the thing. So God may have something specific, very specific in, in store for you. And until he makes that clear, here's what you do. Spend time in his word, love God, love others, dedicate yourself to this, and be open and available when God leads and prompts. There is no need for fear in this. There is absolutely no need for fear for this. This is God's will for for us, and this is how we should pray. This is how we should pray. You can be completely confident that not only will he hear your prayer, but he will respond. He will answer your prayer when you come to him. So let's bring this first part together. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his, his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked him. So we have this confidence that we come to God. Church, we serve a good father. We serve 
a good, good father, and we can trust him. The writer of Hebrews echoes this. Listen to this. Let us then draw near with, or draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So you can have confidence in your prayer life. Pray big prayers, confident prayers. Pray big, confident prayers. Pray not simply to get something from God, to bend God's will to you, but pray so that you can get to what God has for you, what his perfect and good will is for you. And pray, church, that your heart lines up with his. It is a beautiful thing to see the spirit at work in us as he does that. It's a miracle. Now, I wanna look at the next two verses for a moment. Let's shift our focus to a different aspect of prayer. This one might be a little harder for us. A little harder. Um, this is going to be specifically looking at our prayers for others. Uh, intercessory prayer. I want to look at this for a moment. Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So, I warned you, I told you. This one's a tough one. This one's a tough one. I want to remember two things right off the bat that are going to help us really see this text. Two things right off the bat. Uh, First, I want us to remember that the point and the focus of this text is prayer. The point, the focus of this text is, is prayer. So John is talking about that moment when, when, this, when the church sees a brother and a sister in Christ, when, when, when you see them stepping in, engaging in sin, when you see them stumbling, when you see them, to put it in our context, when you see someone in your community group, who you see going off, uh, when you see someone in our church, that you see, you see signs that there may be problems there. There might be something there. Um, John here is saying when that happens, he's calling us to prayer on their behalf. Prayer on their behalf. With the same confidence that we had when we came to him on our own behalf, praying for his will and all, with the same confidence, we have that confidence as we come to the Lord on behalf of a brother or a sister. We have that same confidence. Um, this is intercessory prayer in church. This is a lost art. Uh, for some of us, for so many of, of us in this room, this might be something that we don't do very often. It might be something that makes us a little uncomfortable. In fact, if I'm honest, this is often not my first response when I see a brother and sister struggling in sin. My first response is, okay, that's sad. I should talk to them. I should help them in any way I can. But, you know, what can I do? You do you. Right? You got you. You can only be responsible for you. So you do your thing. You can't really change. You can't really do. We are products of a very individualistic culture that thinks, uh, just think of it, the idea of confessing sins one to another is crazy talk in our culture. 
I mean, absolutely crazy. Um, that's because we have this idea that, that it's really just between you and God, right? It's just between me and God. Just get this right and I'm good. But that's not entirely true because although you're not going to bear the weight of that sin, so to speak, you will feel it. The community, the church, your community group, will, you, you will feel it. This affects more than just that brother, that sister. This is something that John calls us as the body of Christ to engage, to care, to love, and to love and care so much that we intercede for them in prayer, praying for them. As this text says, that he would breathe life, bring life to that brother. Um, the verse this, these verses call us to pray for each other, not to judge, um, not to gossip, but to pray. Let it drive you to prayer. So I want to give you a challenge before we move on. The next time you see someone in your life, and especially in this church, in your community group, that you see struggling with sin, the moment you feel frustration or disappointment, whether it be the first time, the hundredth time, the thousandth time, um, that moment that you feel the urge to get frustrated, to vent or call someone else or, or to just judge, that moment you feel those things, let that be the cue to stop right then, right there, and pray for them. And pray for them. Pray for them that God would give them life. So that's the first thing, okay? The first thing is this verse the, the, the point of this verse is prayer. Second thing that I want us to see and remember as we look at this verse is the context. So we've talked about this all throughout um, this letter, but remember what was happening in this church. When John wrote to this church, he was dealing with a church that a group of people just, a group of people that were brothers and sisters that, that were loved and, and they stood up and said, no, I don't believe, I do not believe what you say about Jesus. I do not believe it. We do not believe it. And they got up and they left. And this, put this in, in context here because it wasn't like you could just leave and go to the church across the street. If you don't like that one, go to the next one. No, this was not like that. This was them leaving the church to start a cult. Do you know how painful that would be, and it was because these people said, no, we do not accept that Jesus was who he said he was. They left. So with that in context, look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. So this is intercessory prayer, what we just talked about, praying for those that we see struggling with sin, okay, that we intercede on their behalf. Then he continues, there is sin, that leads to death. And I do not say that one should pray for that. So what is this sin that leads to death? What is this sin? In context, what is John talking about? Church, this is the sin that is absolutely wrecking this church. That they have seen before, that they have witnessed before their very eyes. The only sin, according to the Bible, that leads to eternal death. Eternal separation from God. Eternal Christless eternity is this the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. 
The sin of rejecting Jesus Christ leads to death. Why is that? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. To reject the Christ is to reject life. The sin that leads to death is a, re- is a rejection of Jesus Christ. And John says this to this church, who is watching this sin unfold before their eyes. I'm not saying that one should pray for that. What? What does that mean? So John says to this church, do not intercede for those people the same way you would for your brother and sister. Do not intercede for them the same way. Um, For your brother and sister in the faith, you, you intercede for the sin that you see in their life. You pray for them that he would bring life to them because you love them, because you care for them. Now, for those who reject Jesus, you are not interceding for them in the same way. Um, out of love and because you care for them, you are not interceding for them because of a sin. What you're doing is you are praying that they would see the gospel, that they would respond to Jesus Christ. It's a different kind of prayer, but it's, it's, it's not the same. So the intercessory prayer that John is talking about here is the prayer that we pray for each other as the church. That we grow in our faith, that we walk out our faith, that we grow in our understanding of the gospel. That's the prayer, that we, that we reject sin, that we walk in the Spirit. Now, is it wrong to pray for those who have rejected Christ? No. Of course not. It is not wrong. Uh, but our prayers for them are different. We're not praying that they would clean up their sin. We're not interceding because they're, they live filthy lives. Our prayers for them are different. Our prayers for them is to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer for them. And here in this text, John calls this church to be in prayer for each other. By the way, side note, are we doing that? I already confess that is not my first instinct. Church, are we doing that? When's the last time that you have prayed for someone in this room who's been struggling in your community group. For those of you who are in community groups, this is a beautiful place for this to express itself. When's the last time? Are we doing this? Are we interceding in prayer for each other? John continues, and he says this, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. There's a sin that does not lead to death. So all wrongdoing, that means all the ways we disobey all the ways we think we know better, all the ways we go on our own, all of the sin in our lives, all of it. According to Romans, the wages of sin is death. How on earth could John say that? If the wages of sin is death, John says all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What is going on here? How on earth could John say that? This is honestly one of the greatest struggles that that people have when, when we come to this text. How on earth could John say this? Church, hear me. It is because the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ who took your sin, took your place, took your punishment. Let me put it like this. The sin that does not lead you to death is the sin that led your Savior to death. The wages of sin is death. But the sin that doesn't lead you to death is the sin that led your Savior to death. The sin that does not lead you to death is the sin that is covered by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf. 
The wages of sin is death, is death. And Jesus took that death. Jesus took that death, gave you life. Jesus took your death. And all of those in Christ are given life. How amazing, how wonderful is that church? For, for us who are in Jesus Christ, there is sin that does not lead you to death. And that's because it took your Savior. That he paid that and gave you life. I, I want to close this morning with an encouragement. As a follower of Christ, um, a child of God in Christ, hear me, nothing can separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ. Nothing. Let me say it again. Nothing. You cannot out sin. You have not out sinned the cross in quality or quantity. What I mean by that? Um, quality, meaning there's no sin that you have done that is too terrible. There's no sin that you have done. It, it's not like one of those ridiculous insurance policies that are like, well, that's not covered, right? The cross of Jesus is not like insurance companies. There is nothing, no sin too great. You cannot out-sin the cross. And quantity, meaning I don't even care how much of it you did. That you cannot out-sin the, the cross. There's no amount too great. You have not out-sin the cross. Jesus knew exactly what he was purchasing, and he did it anyway. Amen. He knew what he was getting when he bought you. And he bought you. He took your sin. He took your death. And in exchange, he gave you life. So that now we know that we have life eternally with Jesus Christ. As we said last week, uh, remember verse 13, just a couple verses earlier. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And now for all of us who are his, all of us who are his, here's the call from this text this morning. Come to God in confidence in prayer. Praying not simply that God would see things your way. Praying not simply that God would give you the things that you want, but praying so that you can get to what God wants for you. And praying that you begin to desire the things that God desires for your life. Come in confidence before God as you pray. Also, come, it, to, come to God in confidence as you intercede in prayer for brothers and sisters in the faith, whether they be in this room, in your community group, in your life. Intercede for them. In other words, church, do not turn a blind, turn a blind eye. Don't ignore don't just, don't ignore that we are called to engage, to be fervent in prayers, to engage. Church, we're on the hook for this. I want to speak specifically to those who call Stone Oak your home, your home church, your family. Church, we are on the hook for this. This is not just a job for pastors. 
We are on the hook for this. We are called to, to not turn blind eyes, to not gossip, to not ignore, but we are called to pray as we see those around us who may be struggling, stepping into things, stepping into sin, as we see that we are called to step in to engage. We should be praying for the people in this room. We should be praying that God brings life to them. And you know what's incredible is God's word said he will we should be praying for that, church. We should be praying for that. As confident as you are when you come to, to God and you pray, church, you can come with that same level of confidence as you come to God and pray for your friend. That's something beautiful that we can't, we should never forget. That we should never forget that our Father is good and he responds to his children as we pray. So what better way for us to close our time together and praying together. Church, would you pray with me? God, I, I confess so often that this is not my, my instinct, that I come to you in prayer and, and I come with my agenda laid before you. God, would you show me how to come to you and listen. Come to you, lay my desires out, but to know that my desire is for your desire for my life. Would you help me? Would you grow, would you grow us in our ability to be able to do that? God, would you let our prayer become vibrant? because it's no longer to get anything. It's to get to you and to hear you and to spend time with you. God, would you change the focus of our prayer? Would you grow us in our ability to come to you in prayer? And God, as we, as we live our life in community together, would you give us eyes to see brothers and sisters who may be hurting and instead of, of turning a blind eye, instead of ignoring, instead of gossiping, instead of judging, would you prompt our hearts to pray, to pray for them, that you would give them life. God, let us be a church that rallies around that, that is known for that. God, we love you, and as we sing about this morning, we know you're faithful. And we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we can come to you in confidence that you will hear and that you will respond and that you will help us in our time of need. We love you. And it's for, in your name, for your glory. Amen.